Woo. Oh, man. I, uh, I told my wife this week, I don't think I've made it through an Easter since God changed me without crying. And um, I'm not ashamed of that, actually. That's, uh, that's going to be like a, that's a, that's a notch in my belt of something that I'm actually very happy about. I don't ever want to get to the place where I'm not moved by the gospel to a place that it leads me to tears. And so uh, just bear with me for a minute while I snot and sneeze all over my microphone um, and wipe it on my jeans because that's what we do in the South, right? That's why God made blue jeans. Who needs napkins and tissues? We have denim. All right, so uh, like I said, my name is Brian. I'm so excited about all of you guys being here with us today. Uh, this is a, certainly a special day for us at Fusion City. Uh, one, because it is Easter, and we, we, just, we get excited about what this resurrection, this life, death, burial, and resurrection of our King Jesus means to us. And I hope that you already are ex- experiencing some of that excitement, um, maybe even vicariously through some of us that are just kind of overwhelmed today. And I know that, that with this many of us in a room, that, that there are a lot of us who have different beliefs and different things that we believe about God and about his son Jesus and about whether he did or didn't, didn't come back from the dead and, and all this other kind of stuff that we tend to associate with this Christian life that all of us are, 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 are trying to live out if we're a follower of Christ. And maybe you've got some questions about that. So let me start today by saying this. I do not believe that Jesus came back from the dead just because the Bible says so. And just because it's the Bible. I want to tell you why I believe the Bible and why then I believe that Jesus came back from the dead and was resurrected three days after he was put in a tomb. And here's why I believe that that what is written in here is, is authentic and real. I believe it because of the men who wrote it, the earthly authors that God inspired and used to write what we currently have as Scripture. Let me ask you a question. Do any of you have a, a favorite story that you tell? Like there was, especially if you're older, this is pretty true, um, and we won't, we won't make you raise your hand because it would be all the old people raising their hands, and we don't want to call you out as old. So just nod silently with me in your mind, okay, if you're old and you have a favorite. I have a favorite story that I tell. I know I'm getting old. All right, I, won't even, I, won't even, I won't even bother telling you the story. Just, but a lot of us, there was that glory moment for us, right? There was that one time that we did that one thing that was really, really, really amazing, And we love to tell that story. Tell it every chance that we get. We've rehearsed it, right? Sometimes I hand out cliff notes. So you can take take, or I hand out notes, like follow along, right? I want to make sure you understand how awesome I was, right? So I, I tell my story. So now there's usually in our favorite story a specific moment in that story that is the like the, the linchpin for everything else that surrounds the story. And so when I when I get to that part, I tend to slow down because I don't want you to miss a single moment of my awesomeness. And the same is probably true for you when you tell your story. Like you, you set it up, you give the, the context and where you were and what was going on and who was there. And those are kind of like nickel knowledge fi- facts and figures. But then you get to the, to the moment. And everything gets drawn out and it kind of slows down so that you're careful to articulate 
every single little second of the moment. When we read scripture, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is recorded in something that we call the Gospels. It's the first four books of the New Testament. And all four of these gospel accounts record the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus a little bit differently. There's some content in in each book that that is specific to that book that isn't in in the other book. They're all different in some way. But when they all get to the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we kind of see the story become elongated. It begins to to, to get drawn out and they slow down and they're careful to capture every little detail of the moment. Because that's the most significant part of the story. Now here's why I believe it. Because the way that it is written is not how they would have written it. I have a pastor friend of mine who says that the Bible is a book that couldn't have been written if someone would have written it, and they wouldn't have written it even if they could. Here's what that means. The things that the authors of the Gospels record make themselves look bad. And not just a little bad, really bad. Like the hero of the story is Jesus, and some of them betray, deny, and and completely distance themselves from Jesus in the book that they wrote. Now, I don't know about you, but I know me. And if I get to write the story of Jesus, I'm going to make myself look a little better than the disciples and the authors of Scripture made themselves look as they wrote the Bible. One of the, one of the key figures in the early Christian church at the foundation of the church today as we know it under the new covenant of Christ's blood in today's church, Peter, the guy that got to preach on Pentecost and the guy that was kind of the, the central figure to a lot of the founding and the, the institution of the initial church. If you go and read scripture, Peter looks like a half-wit betraying, deny, he denied Jesus. Some middle school girl comes up to Peter and like, hey, don't you know that guy hanging on the cross? And Peter gets scared of a middle school girl and says, no, nah, I don't know that guy. This is the, like one of the founders of the church in Scripture denying the existence and priesthood and Christness of Jesus. Who would write that? A lot of people argue that Scripture is merely just Jesus propaganda, that it's just this story written to try and convince all of us to believe in some ghost guy that doesn't really exist or whatever. But if we're writing a fake story about a God who doesn't exist, why would anybody make Peter, who started the church, look bad? Nobody would. And the same thing goes with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There's all content in there that make them not heroic. Why would they write it? And then there's this nickel knowledge fact. And this for me, this this put me over the top. If if I didn't believe it based on the content of the Gospels, here was the nail in the the coffin. That's a bad use of the term. Jesus came out of a coffin. Amen in Jesus' name. Um, I tried to make it spiritual. I don't know if that worked or not. But this, this was the final straw for me. How many of you in here have a sibling? Show of hands. Go ahead and throw them up. I got, you have a brother or a sister. All right, good. Jesus had a couple of, we'll call them stepbrothers. Jesus had a couple of, or brother. Well, Jesus had a couple of brothers, one of which by, uh, was a man named James. Now, James wrote one of the, the books in our Bible. 
But prior to the resurrection, we have no record in Scripture of James affirming that his brother was the Son of God. Now, let me ask you a question, all of you who just raised your hand and said that you have a brother or a sister. What would your sibling have to do to convince you that they are the Son of God? Any takers? Like, what would it take for your brother or sister to walk in the room and be like, hey, guess what? I'm God's child. No, not, 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 like, not like all God's children. Like, I'm the son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Man, get the heck out of here. Come on. I, like, you were picking your boogers three days ago. Like, come on, man. Like, I know you. Right? Matter of fact, the, the, the book of John, the chapter 7, it says that James and all of Jesus' other brothers and sisters thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was nuts. But, but something changed all of that. You want to know what it was? Jesus died and then came back to life. Now, I know my brother. I have one. And I do not believe that he is the son of God. But he could do a lot to convince me if I buried him tomorrow and then three days later he showed up at my house to borrow my lawnmower. And he's like, hey, I know I was dead, but now I'm back and I need a lawnmower. I'm like, you can have my lawnmower for you are holy. Right? Like that, that would happen for me. And it happened for James. You see... This significant event in the life of Christ, his resurrection, changed everything. from And the person, the one man who had all the reason in the world not to believe that Jesus really was the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He's, he's got a book in here declaring that Jesus is, in fact, God's Son, the Christ. Messiah. And those are just a couple of reasons. And I could preach a whole message that we ain't got time for today about why you should believe the Bible. But I hope that that'll serve as some foundation for you if maybe you came in not quite believing everything that Scripture says. That's why I believe what Scripture says. And that's why a lot of you believe that the Bible is the holy written Word of God penned by human authors and given to us so that we might better know his nature and his character. So once we begin to believe the authenticity of Scripture, we then fall under the authority of Scripture, meaning that we believe what it is. Says. And so today, as we celebrate, today as we recognize and affirm that, that this was the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the day that we say, that we come into agreement, that we believe that. Here's what it does for us. This central figure of our faith, Jesus, in his resurrection, we receive forgiveness through his death. Everything about Jesus is central to our lives as believers. And the first element of that is that we receive forgiveness of our sins through his death 
on the cross. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 says this. It says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the only reason that that verse doesn't get you jacked up is if you don't know what propitiation means. I don't know about you, but I use it daily because I'm really smart. No, no. All right, so let's, let's take a moment. Like, not, not a common word in my language. I don't talk about propitiation very often unless I'm preaching. All right? So, so let's talk about it for just a moment. Here's what propitiation means. Propitiation means that you had or have a debt. Now, we all understand debt because we all know Visa. You have a debt, and it's not monetary, it's relational. You have a debt that is owed before you can be in a relationship with God. And there's absolutely nothing you can do. You can't afford it. There's, there's, no, there's nothing in your life that you can do, say, or think that can take away your debt. You're stuck with it. Apart from... Someone who would act as your propitiation, which is exactly, in fact, what Jesus did. Jesus paid your debt, took your place, and did it willingly. To be a propitiation is a willingness to step into the place of ownership for somebody else. Jesus owned your sin, and then died for it because that is what God demanded. And that makes him your propitiation. So you want to you sound really smart today at lunch. Here's what you tell somebody. Like, what would you learn at church today? Well, here's what I know to be true. Jesus is my propitiation. You should know him. <laughs> Make it sound really smart. All right, number two. We have forgiveness through his death, but we have hope in his Resurrection. We just talked about Peter, right? Let's read a book out of out of Peter or a chapter, a verse out of Peter's book. First Peter, chapter one, verse three. He says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." So when we celebrate, here's what that means. That when we believe that Jesus in his death has taken away the sins, that he has become our propitiation, stepped into our place, willingly paid our price, and then because of that, God had him suffer and die on a cross. That's what it took to be your propitiation. But now we have a hope, not because he died, but because three days later, the the stone was rolled away from the front of the tomb in which enclosed Jesus after he died, and he walked out of a tomb. We have a Savior who lives on the other side of a tomb, and that's something worth celebrating this morning. We should clap a little bit for that because he's worthy of our applause and our excitement and our celebration because it is in his resurrection that we have the hope that when our time on earth is over, that we too will be resurrected, that in Christ we are the resurrection and the life, but only according to him who was first resurrected because he lowered himself to the point of being a sacrifice on a cross. Listen to me, church. That's, that's why we're here. 
the reason that Easter is celebrated by so many Christians all over the world, the reason that a lot of you, come on, let's just be, let's real talk. The reason that, that a lot of you are here today and not so many other days during the year is because you know there is something significant about the Christian Easter when we celebrate this Savior who was willing to step into our place, die for us. And then on Easter, we get together and we celebrate this God who didn't just stay dead and just didn't die for your sins, but who was resurrected to give us a hope of living forever with him in eternity. And that's why we celebrate. And we believe it. Why do we believe it? Because there were a bunch of jacked up dudes that God used to write scripture to tell us that it really did happen. And they wrote it in such a way that I can't, I have to believe it. Why would they write it if it weren't true? It would serve them no purpose. So here's where we stand. Now what? Okay, pastor guy. We, we believe that, that these men wrote something down that was true. And it's written in such a way that we have to believe it was true. And because we believe it's true, we fall under its authority. And because of its authority, we believe that Jesus really was resurrected. Now, what? Which is exactly the same thing that people asked on the first day of Pentecost. Peter preached, 3,000 people got all jacked up about loving Jesus and believing that he really did come back from the dead. And this is the question that they asked. What do we do? Now what? What do we do? And here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized. So not only do we have this forgiveness through his death, this hope in his resurrection, but we have a reason for how we live. And we respond to who Jesus is and what he's done by living like he lived. First John chapter 2, just a couple of verses later, it says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, if we truly believe that Jesus' death covered our sin and that his resurrection gives us the hope for a future in our own resurrection with him after death, then we, then how, what we should do is to respond. If we're trying to answer the question, now what? Then now what is that we live our life in the same way that Jesus lived, walking in the ways in which he walked. And the very way that Jesus was pushed onto the scene and announced as our Messiah. His first step of demonstrating for us how to live like he lived was baptism. Jesus was baptized and it says that his father looked down and was pleased. 
Paul wrote this in the book of Galatians. Paul, you know, murderer of Christians who they let write books in the Bible. Remember we were talking about the guys? Okay, another guy, Paul, murdered Christians, met Jesus, started making Christians. If you're not familiar with that story, catch me after I tell you the whole thing. It's awesome. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, Paul says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says that, we, that when we are baptized, that we are putting on Christ. Here's what baptism means. Baptism is our opportunity to identify our lives with Jesus. It's a moment that we make a declaration that from this point on, I belong to him. Let me tell you how that works. I asked all of you, a lot of you earlier if you, about brothers and sisters. Here's what I've noticed about my life. Um, I got married almost 15 years ago. It'll be 15 years in June. My wife is a school teacher at a local elementary school. Now, when I go to the school to, to drop stuff off or to see her or just in any form or fashion that I have to be at her where she works. I'm not Brian anymore. I might as well not even have a name. I'm Miss Duncan's husband. Or I'm Aaron's husband, if it's one of the other teachers who know her by her first name. My mother works at the hospital. If I go to see mom at work, I'm not Brian. I'm Delina's son. Happy birthday, mom. Today's her birthday. Just honor mom today. Yeah. Yay, Yay mom. All right. Um, I, ha- I have two little girls, Emma and Leah. When I meet Emma and Leah's friends, guess what? They don't know my name. I'm Emma and Leah's dad. That is how I am identified. Now, what's cool is when they all come to church, <laughs> they're Brian's mom and Brian's wife and Brian's kids. And if they're misbehaving, them's Aaron's kids. All right, I'm just going to tell you, we're just going to get that out of there right now. Um, when we connect ourselves to other people, we become identified by them. Now, some of those I didn't have any choice in. I didn't get to pick my parents, but I got to pick my wife. And when I stood in that church with the preacher and all our friends and family and Marines down the side and everything else, and I said my vows, here's what I did. I staked my claim that day that from this day forward, I will be identified by you and you will be identified by me. I'm good for the rest of my life from this moment until the day that I die to be Aaron's husband. And I am for 15 years and God willing will do it for 40 more. I don't know. Long time. And I'm good with that. So when we enter into this this, this relationship with Jesus, in the same way that when we got married, a lot of us, and we stood in that church and we said our vows, in the same way, as on that day we made a declaration that for the rest of my life, my decision is to forever be identified by you. Baptism is our opportunity to make a declaration to the rest of the world that from this day, now we'll talk, wait a minute. I'll get there in a second. 
comes after salvation. Salvation has already happened, but baptism is our opportunity to make a declaration that from this day forward, I am forever identified no longer as Brian or who you are or whatever your name is. I belong to Christ. I am his and he is mine. That is what baptism is all about. All right. Now, now in just a few minutes, we're going to baptize five people. I'm pretty excited about that. So let me, let me tell you just a little bit about why we do what we do and what's getting ready to happen here before all of you this morning. Baptism is extremely significant, but it's also very simple. Baptism is our public declaration that we identify ourselves with Christ. Now, here, here's some information about what it means to make a declaration. I don't, I don't know how many of you make declarations on a regular basis, but here's how a declaration works. A declaration always follows a decision. Dragon, you can't make a declaration until you've decided to commit to something. The day that I declared that I would forever be identified as Aaron's husband, well, I had made the decision that I desired to live as Aaron's husband for the rest of my life and thus made a declaration following my decision. For every person that desires to be baptized, we have a conversation with them. We sit them down and we talk because we want to make sure that that's the understanding that they have. That baptism doesn't physically wash anything away. You don't come up any real physically different than when you went down. You just come up wet. But what you've done in that moment is you've made a declaration that I have a very connected relationship with somebody that I choose to be identified by for the rest of my life. We baptize in our church by immersion. It means we dunk them. Here's why we do that. Because baptism is making a declaration that I identify with Christ who was dead, buried, and then was resurrected. And we believe that immersion best symbolizes a death, burial, and resurrection. You go down into the grave and you come up alive. Also, every account that we can find in Scripture mentions that those who were baptized came up out of the water. You can't come up out of the water unless you were down in the water. So we baptize by immersion because we believe that every baptism in the Bible was that way. The word baptize is actually a, a transliterated word from the Greek, which means to dip in or to immerse. The, the very word means immerse. And so that's why we do it the way that we do it. So in just a moment, five people are going to come. And today they're going to make their declaration that they will forever, from this day forward, be identified with Jesus Christ. You guys excited about that? Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a little bit and give them a chance to get ready. So if you would, get to your feet. And if you would, please join me in singing with the band.